This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the manly Warthog Man Cave. Well, it's still manly. It's not as manly as it used to be, but I'm hanging on by my fingertips. Here we go. And we are also in the Mellon Law Studio, which is the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida Fighting Gator. And we're protected 24-7, 365 by crime prevention, which is a very good theme for today's show. Uh, We are always trying to bring you, uh, with the help of you, our research team, the very up-to-date conversations we should be having in a community like this. Open, high-spirited, well-researched, and uh, completely candid and free of censorship. But, you know, I don't run the world, but I do have a little say-so in the Ward Scott Files. And I appreciate all the feedback we get from you all, our research team at large, and our uh, customers and our sponsors and our people who take an interest in the show and our guests. And today, uh, we've got a great guest. Um, A lot of people don't realize how influential a logical chronicle has become. Uh, it's the first thing I read. Um, I like to think that the Ward Scott Files helped put the Gainesville Sunset out of business. Um, because the Gainesville Sunset, and I knew those folks for years, but they were lefties. They were trying to curry the favor, possibly of the university ideology. And they're doing a pretty good job of it. There were a couple of conservatives, but not many. And uh, they sort of went the way of all flesh, plus digital uh, news kind of got them. And along came a need, it came a need, and Lynn and Jennifer Cabrera evidently recognized it. They've got the courage, they've got the energy, uh, they've got the intelligence to make it a good read. Just the exhausting production of words on paper, which yours truly did for years, as you know, now it's oral for me. It's a little different. It is something that is always recorded. You can go back and hear. But I am basically an extemporaneous speaker. I am speaking totally from an exercise we have in debate where we hand the uh, participant a brown bag in which the participant does not know, nor do we, what's in it. And it's a ramshackle, disassociated group of items that the viewer of that bag has a minute or so to look in and then come out with a composition that is all connected. That is really basically what I do. I'm looking in the brown bag every day to see what has come to visit us. Crime is here to stay. We know that. But it's on a lot of people's minds and hearts and fears. Numbers really, after a while, I'll offer this as a starting point for our great guest, who is a bright guy, who has uh, 
uh, knows physics and number crunching and formulas as well as anybody I'm sure you'll ever hear. But what perturbs people are the stories. For example, my wife comes to me this morning, and Lynn, my guest, Kavara, probably already knows this, maybe already has written about it. And there is an altercation, verbal, maybe somewhat threatening, and a very difficult turn by Best Buy off of Archer Road going north into that little area where the lanes merge. I got a confession. I have been in a shouting match there myself when I was cut off, put in danger, and had nowhere to go. This happened yesterday. Two women, one of whom pulled a gun on the other. And then you look at the penalty for that. And then we see the screen in New York where the cops are getting kicked while they're trying to stop something and nobody's stopping the kickers. Um, If you are a literature buff, as I am, you've read Clockwork Orange. Uh, You've read Yerzy Kaczynski's Painted Burr. You know what young people do when they don't have any adult guidance. Len, welcome to the Ward Scott Files. It's an honor to add here. I'm just going to sit back and listen to what you've been doing and uh, kind of participate when I raise my hand and you recognize me. Is that okay? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You're on, buddy. All right. Yeah, so we just put out our summary of the uh, daily booking logs for last year, and we tried to compare it to the previous year, which we were able to do this year. Uh, The previous year, um, I don't know if you want to jump into conspiracy theories, but it seems like all the metrics that measuring systems of government changed in 2020. It's like they didn't want to have anything to be able to go back and compare what the effect of all the responses were. So the education system changed uh, their assessment system for students. So you couldn't compare before and after. And then the uh, criminal justice system also, the FBI changed from the Uniform Crime Reporting System, to, sorry, uh, Uniform Crime System to the incident-based reporting system. So you could not go back and compare crime statistics from previous years. So when we did our summary last year, we couldn't compare the change in crime from 2021 to 2022. But when we got the summary data for 2023 now, we're able to compare. So we're able to go back and look at how much crime increased. And of course, everybody's watching the presidential debates and Governor DeSantis was not ever talking about how crime is down in Florida. Alachua County is the exception. We, we had crime go up almost across the board in just about every category. Uh, just a handful that went down. Um, but most of the ones that we care about, the, the violent crimes, the things that affect property, especially here, uh, they've all gone up and up by a lot. So we were able to do that and track things. Um, and, and we even were able to do it with a little bit more fidelity, which is weird, right? Two people just doing this on their own have more fidelity in the data than what's posted by FDLE or ASO or GPD. Like my, my big one is for weapon offenses. There is a single category in FIBRS, the Florida Incident-Based Reporting System, single category for weapon offenses, which includes anything with a weapon. Doesn't differentiate between firearms or other weapons. Doesn't differentiate between simple possession or actually discharging. Having a stolen gun, having an altered gun, it makes no distinctions on all that. Everything is just a weapon offense. But we were able to do this because we're doing it day by day, going through the booking log and looking at arrest reports, looking at sworn complaints, and we're able to break out. So we broke out our weapon offenses by uh, five categories instead of just one. It could still be more detailed, but the more 
detailed you get on the data, then the harder it is to actually get anything useful out of it. So we went through and summarized all the crimes that we saw of people being booked into the jail. If you read the article, it's, it's actually two parts. The first part is just a summary of the demographics of who's in the jail and how they were arrested by warrants or minimus and, and which departments did it. But then the second one is when we go into actual the details of the crime, what types of crimes, compare it to the previous year. And then we tried to go in and compare it to other crime systems kept by law enforcement agencies. And you'd be surprised that they're all different and none of them is very good in quality. Not surprised. So, not surprised. You made, um, I started to raise my hand, but I didn't want to interrupt your train of thought. Um, first of all, let me explain to the audience that what you're doing used to be done publicly by the newspaper. Can you tell us a little bit of the history of how that came to be? I'm well, sorry. we did not set out to set up Alachua Chronicle to be the crime blog of Alachua right. County. I mean, I our, our, our mission was to track government meetings, which have increased as much as the crime has. It's kind of crazy how much more time and both the number of meetings and the length of the meetings has increased since we started covering them. Um, but uh, when Gannett bought the Gainesville Sunset, as you call them, right, they came out with their virtue signaling thing about not doing booking logs or mug shots because they enforce negative stereotypes. And I just thought that was absolutely ridiculous. You're reporting the news. If you show every single person that was booked into the jail, regardless of how it turns out, that does not make you racist or does not enforce any stereotypes. That is what it was. This is what happened. Now, if you want to make the claim that the law enforcement agencies are somehow racist because the outcomes in the log or who is being arrested doesn't match society as whole. You can make that argument all you want, but that doesn't mean that the actual reporting of the log itself is a bad thing. If anything, that's how you prove that bad things are going on. And that's part of why we decided to do it. Um, So every day we go through the the jail booking log, which is a public record. Um, We, Put out initially as early as we can a summary of the log with the mug shots and all the instances. We try as best we can to fix any obvious errors that we catch. And you'd be surprised. I mean, there's human error in everything. And I can imagine that being the the deputy in charge of booking people into the jail is probably not the most glamorous of things to do. Um, so we go through, we try to correct any errors we see with the names or the dates of birth, even with the charges sometimes. If we're looking at something and it doesn't make sense, we'll actually open up either the court system or, or the ASO inmate lookup website, where as long as they're still at the jail, you can get information on charges and, and descriptions of the inmates. So we try to correct any obvious errors that we see, and we put it all together. Then later through the day, we, we review the arrest reports um, for anything that was a minimus arrest, and we also will look at some sworn complaints. If there's something that's very egregious of some particularly violent or heinous crime. We might look at those. And then initially that was all we set out to do was just to put up the jail booking log, just to, Hey, here's what happened. And then just because I'm a numbers guy, like you said, I started figuring out, well, how do I track this so that I can actually go back and use this information in the future? So that's 
it, it's taken more and more time every day as we do more with it and build out the data set. And anytime we decide, like last year, at the start of last year, I decided to break out different categories of crime and track them and tally them as we went. And when I did that, I thought, well, this is really great, but it's going to be worthless for a year because I won't have anything to compare it to. So unlike what law enforcement agencies did or the FBI or FDLE, I went back to the previous year and we went through every log and tabulated the same summaries that I was doing for the new ones so that I would be able to compare back to back. Um, and, and give the audience a little bit of um, your your intellectual training. Um, you like numbers, but it's beyond that. Let's go through your resume just a minute. Can we do that? <laughs> uh, there's not a lot of crime in it or law enforcement. <laughs> I know, I know that, but analyst. You are yes, I was, a, I was an analyst in the Air Force. I, I started off my career doing flight tests, so a lot of number crunching there. Um, we were one of the first organizations that actually had uh, verified, validated computer modeling linked in with flight tests to do initial operational test evaluation. And this is back in the in the late nineties, and uh, so that was that was the initial part of my career, and then. Um, I burned my bridges in the test world because I turned down a slot to go to test pilot school and chose to come here to UF and get my PhD instead. <laughs> so my penance for that was I got transitioned from the test world to the logistics world. So then I went and worked at U.S. Transportation Command and did logistics planning, both air, sea, ground, pretty much everything. And for the most part, uh, I, I didn't like the programmatic world where I was in the test side. of We're, we're doing all this number crunching in support of either the general officers or the congressmen who want to justify whatever production decision they've already made. <laughs> when I was there, I tried to get more into the operations side. So that was a lot more interesting because I would have different people at different times. Since we were at the joint unit, we would have calls from the Navy or the Army or, or the Air Force. Different units would call in and have a problem, and we would get to work on it. Uh, one of my favorite ones was uh, just um, fuel flow in Afghanistan. So getting the fuel from well, I can't name the locations, but going from the port in another country, transporting it by surface then through other countries and getting it into Afghanistan and how to schedule it and how to do it so that they would never run out of fuel. And you have to account for weather and attacks, shipments being stolen, all kinds of things like that. It was very interesting. And I get to say that after I gave them my, my suggestions for doing it, they never once ran out of fuel in any of the fobs, at least not the ones that I was aware of. What are your thoughts while we're on that subject of Biden leaving it all there when he left? Well, I'm not in anymore. I don't think my Ah. pension is at risk if I say that was, um, there's something in the constitution about aiding and abetting the enemy. I'll just leave it at that. Wow. The ammunition, since we have shoot GTR, shoot GTR is one of our great sponsors range here. I know those folks real well. And I know what ammunition costs. I know you, you, just, you just can't walk off and, and, and leave it there. My God, the enemy must have thought, wow, it beats anything you'd read in Catch-22. I mean, my God, you know, I, I, I'm just dumbfounded. I, I, don't, I, yeah. just don't, I don't get it. Huh? Now, let's talk about patterns. 
because I know you uh, recognize from your uh, interests so much is revealed in patterns. You basically do you not. You're working inductively, not knowing what you're going to find until you put things together. At some point, you begin to deduce that there's something recurring here, and you begin to hypothesize that that could recur with this frequency or that frequency. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. I would think you'd be playing that game with yourself, even if you didn't want to, even if you're trying to, quote, unquote, keep an open mind. You know, we use this, correct me if I'm wrong, Lynn, on profiling. Profiling works. When I'm at the range, I'm often there with guys who are on, well, I'm not sure what to call them. They don't tell me and they shouldn't. But they stop suspicious traffic on the interstate. And the most dangerous time they do it is at night. Why do they do it? They do it on profiling. There are certain things that that vehicle traveling does. It may not even know it's doing it. That the observer says, ah, let's find a way to stop that vehicle. Because I think, we think, there's something we need to stop it for. And they can even guard it more and more cautiously based upon their profiling. But if you took that to court and a defense attorney, a defense lawyer, got a hold of it, what are you profiling? What are you saying? You can hear it. So it's a term that's not used. Do you ever find yourself doing this, thinking, well, I've seen this guy here five times in the last year? Chances are, you know what I'm saying, Len? Yeah. So, yeah, the benefit of having done this now for four years is that there are certain faces we recognize right away. There are certain looks. Uh, I mean, we we will be surprised every now and then, but a lot of times you can look at just the mug shots and you can tell, oh, that's that's probably just somebody that was out partying and had a DUI. Or uh, this guy got caught with meth. And usually you can tell the difference between somebody doing drugs that was meth and somebody that's cocaine. But then also you can tell the more hardened criminals. And since we have multiple mug shots, the, the saddest one for me is if you go back and look through the shots of the same person, there's some that come in at 18 or 20 and they just look like kids. And you, and you just watch the progression of the mug shots one after the other. And you just see their eyes just die. And just the look in their face, just it's like, after four times or five arrests, now that's a hardened criminal. That's not just some innocent little kid. Um, but I don't normally think about that because it's kind of depressing as you go through looking at the arrest reports and the booking log every day. Um, the one thing I did notice as I went through, and I'm glad to say now, I didn't even consider it when I wrote up the, uh, the summary because I just threw all the numbers are. The numbers are what they are. I don't try not to think about it too much. But as I go through it, I realize that one of the Biggest offenses that nobody would think about is violation of probation. Really? And yes. Uh, so last year, uh, I have the numbers right here. There were 1,001 
individual bookings at the county jail for some type of violation of probation. That doesn't tell you how many times they violated it or doesn't tell you what the original charge is. Just that many individuals could be the same person booked multiple days, but 1,001. So a little over 14% of all the bookings at the jail were some kind of violation of probation. Um, The next highest, I just skim it here. I'm just looking at the actual document. I'm not looking at the raw data. The next highest would be drug possession at 844. So significantly higher and what that tells me is that the judicial system is broken it's somewhere in there either they don't want to bother prosecuting or they're showing poor judgment on who they decide to give probation instead of jail to and you know it could be for practical reasons i don't know why i haven't interviewed anybody to ask um it it could just be for practical reasons to get things through the docket faster um but the one that really upsets me is if you see somebody who's out either on pretrial release or, or it was given uh, probation instead of time in jail and then they reoffend. And I, I think last year when I wrote my proposals on crime summary, that was one of the things to say, hey, maybe like a three strikes rule for a prosecutor or a judge when they show that kind of discretion to release somebody, have a running tally. Once they get three within a month or something, they, they lose the ability to grant that. Sorry, you can't get pretrial release from this judge. Or, better yet, hold them as accessories to any future crimes. Maybe that encourage them to not be so lenient. I've got a couple of questions I'm pondering. Here's silence. It's me thinking. Uh, don't take it the wrong way. Or maybe you should. But uh, um, So here we have a pattern. We don't know when you say drugs. Do we? What drug? Uh, that's just generic drug possession. We we keep a separate number then for anybody who's brought in for either drug trafficking or drug selling. Um, so that was just drug possession. And it sometimes they get mixed up because in the log, it's not very clear. Typically, if they have trafficking quantities of a drug, like for, for marijuana, if it's over 20 grams, that would be considered trafficking quantity. Sometimes they'll actually put that in the log as with intent to sell. And then we would count that as selling, even though they might not have been selling, they might have just had a lot. Um, or they might just put that it's a large quantity without specifically putting with intent to sell or trafficking, in which case we would just count it as possession. But we do aggregate all drug possession charges as just drug possession. We don't, I mean, I could go back afterwards and, and break it out, but they don't always say what the drug was. Obviously, the biggest one when they do specify is marijuana. But they do also sometimes will have cocaine or methamphetamine. But it doesn't always specify. Would you therefore, I'm not going to say, um, how should I say, would you therefore hypothesize that these young kids are shooting each other and are obviously in the drug business are primarily in the marijuana drug business? That, I I couldn't answer that. Couldn't answer, okay. Yeah, I mean, most of my information on crime in Lachua County is looking at the logs and the reports. It's not like I'm out on the street. I got you. And I don't go looking for trouble. <laughs> it's not like I'm going around all the bad neighborhoods to find out who's doing what. Well, 
I used to do ride-alongs, and you could tell a lot more ride-along. Mm-hmm. Go out there and you observe. But uh, I was wondering that. Um, here's another thing. I, I don't know if I shared this with you or not. I did mention on the air the other day, I was contacted by law authorities. Let's put it that way. I'm going to try to keep it as vague as I can. They wanted to talk to me. And it wasn't to suggest anything bad. They wanted to help me. Off the record, they said, you you can do things we can't do. Your show can make people aware of stuff that we can't talk about. But we don't have any way to make people aware of it. The newspaper won't print it. Where do we go with it? So we're coming to you. And what I'm going to share with you real briefly, because I haven't known what to do with it, is website crime. There are these websites in this community that are I had them, the addresses, but I was afraid to go to them. You know, I fear somebody's thinking I was looking. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I can always go back and say, well, the cops gave it to me. But um, on these websites, it's the human trafficking. Are the women, okay? You ready for this, Len? You can see the women, and you can see the trafficker. He's there, too. And I was told that the tattoos have a meaning. You may have seen Snoop Doggy Dogg once in a while go something like this. All those gestures are drug-coded words, mean a lot. I was told also that many of the women are from out of the community, but there are many from within this very community who come from good families. Who are on these websites advertising themselves as associated with these gangs. And that that is one of the core network places in the community that they go to. Customers go there. Older men go there. You know, a whole bit. Gangs advertise themselves there against each other. I never even knew about it. I don't think I'd ever known about that if the cops hadn't told me. And is there anything going on out there? I'm not going to say this, but those numbers lead you, although I know you're telling me you are strictly sticking to numbers. You're an analyst. You have no emotional involvement in this. You are... Um, it, it it gets emotional. I think I told you uh, my my memory verse there was uh, <laughs> out of Romans twelve nineteen. Yeah. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Yeah, <laughs> I just have to to disconnect it. That, that's not that's not for for me to deal with. Now, if it was my daughter on that website, then I would probably be in the booking log as well. Have you heard of this website? No. Interesting. Interesting. But like you said, if I knew about it, I wouldn't go visit it because I wasn't told about it by law enforcement, so I don't have an entrapment defense. But you know what? You wonder what you'd find there. 
I don't want to know. Uh, that That's probably the most disturbing thing I see in the booking log is when there's a sexual assault on a minor, especially because it will specify if it's a minor between 12 and 18 and then under 12. And when we see something like that, especially if it's under 12, we had one today. It was a violation of probation now. So uh, seeing those just gets my blood going and it just, it's so infuriating. And speaking of, there was a 31% increase in charges for sexual assault from 2022 to 2023 in Alachua County. Once again, it's that's me thinking. <laughs> Sorry, that's on the that's on the uh, charges at the jail side. I think in the article I specify that for both of the reporting systems. So for ASO, um, they actually showed a decrease in CAD incidents for sexual battery, dropped to twenty one percent, almost twenty two percent, and that that's just for dispatch calls. So. Fewer calls for help, I guess, but somehow they booked more. So maybe they're just better at arresting the people. And then on the um, GPD side, they use the Florida Incidents-Based Reporting System, FIBRS. Their forcible sex offenses, they had down almost 18%. So it's interesting that the reported incidents from law enforcement were lower, which could be a good thing, and the bookings were higher. So maybe it's just that they're getting better at catching them. So just looking at the numbers doesn't always tell the story. Uh, well, you, you yeah. could take that in a pot. You could put a positive spin on that, but at the same time, having more sexual assaults, even if it's that they're getting caught, it just seems bad. Well, as you know, the crime has the custody be custody of law enforcement all the way along the chain. The guy who stops you on the street can let you go. And if he doesn't, the person next up lets you go all the way up. And um, a lot of that lets you go on the street, as we know, the joke about it with the bomb of the hemline. But they know these guys and um, they know where they're coming from. And I can't help but think that they occasionally try to give them a break. You know, I mean, what kid hasn't have a break when he was, because uh, we're talking about Tom Sawyer, not up thin. We're not talking necessarily about some of the hardcore things these guys are doing. Um, you know, we got I got a break for the Weatherland. I want, I, I, you piqued my interest a minute ago. Last year's report. I'd like to visit that when we get back and say, did you show it to anybody? And they didn't do anything with it. Because I don't think they know what they got here. And lead me through that, if you will, when we get back. Donald Lynn Cabrera, his wife, Jennifer Cabrera, run Alacho Chronicle. And without it, we'd be lost. Uh, we like to think that we partner with them and they with us because we uh, are on the same page. We're trying to keep you informed. But there are certain talents that they have that they bring to this journey, if you will, that are very, very uh, well-schooled, if you will. Uh, Lynn has got a first-rate mind, as does Jennifer and they're very, very disciplined. Never see any bad writing. Uh, never see any bad thinking. Very unusual for somebody as critical as I to be able to say that. We're right back on the Ward Scott Files in one moment. Stay tuned. 
Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, R&R Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Welcome back to the Ward Scott Files with Ward's Weather Report, brought to you by Lewis Oil, Fossil Fuel, Chevron Stations. Fill up there. You'll be absolutely treated professionally. Love Lewis Oil and the Lewis family. Well, the weather is really remarkable in that it's unremarkable here where we are in our location. But we have some things going on elsewhere that really have caused a lot of havoc. You've got obviously what's happened in the Los Angeles area. You have got what's happened. This rings a bell for me because I have been there. I have been to the northern post, a northernmost post, place, town, whatever you want to call it. It's not much of Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia tucked in on the seashore facing directly north with the mountain to it back, something called Meat Cove. My God, I was there in the summertime with the wife. We looked at it and we said, how in the world would you stand this in the wintertime? Now I'm reading on my websites here 
that Nova Scotia is buried by five feet of snow. More could be on the way. If you want to think of a cold spot, go to the map and look at Meat Cove. What a name. Wow. Well, we're talking with Elaine Cabrera, his wife, Jennifer Cabrera. They are the brains behind the outfit. They're the entrepreneurs. They're the whole thing of the Lodgeville Chronicle. And they, they produce every single day. They're on the job every day. And thank goodness, and Lynn is a good example, they have active minds that fight problems to think about. And we have got a problem, crime, in all of its various shapes and forms. And Lynn has been focusing on just one aspect, and that is what is called, really used to be, the police lineup. Um, I want to share a story about the Chicago Tribune and the lineup, quote the lineup. Lynn may not know of this person. His name was Nelson Algren. Nelson Algren, late in life, became a pretty good friend of mine. He was a reporter for the Chicago Tribune. He would go down to the police beat each day for the lineup, and he would write about who got arrested that day. He did it in words. Lynn is doing it in numbers. And as he wrote... He saw the same people then from time to time, and he became interested in them as human beings, out of which came two very successful works of fiction and then cinema. The Man with the Golden Arm and Walk on the Wild Side. Those two works were written by Nelson Alvin. The Man with the Golden Arm was played by Frank Sinatra. And it was about heroin. And Walk on the Wild Side was about the crime underground that is just with us everywhere. So I thought I'd pass that along to you all. There is precedent for this observation of the criminal element in our societies. Now, Lynn, has anybody or have you presented your... That's the reason I wanted to get you on the show. I want people to know about what you're doing. Um, anybody sh- shared us with anybody last year? Uh, no, we we have talked uh, with both ASO and GPD about what we do. They've called us in. Sometimes they we might report on something they didn't want reported, and they want to find out why we know about it. Uh, we've had those talks. Um, but nobody's talked to us about the data that we put out. We do work pretty well with the um, information officers at both GPD and ASO. Obviously, we deal with ASO more when we're dealing with the booking log. Um, so the jail supervisor, we frequently go back and forth, especially if they send out a very big error on the booking log. Like say they sent out the wrong day or it was incomplete, and I can tell that it's incomplete. I'll usually get to them first thing in the morning. And then a little while later, there'll be a second email that goes out to their distribution list with a corrected booking log. Um, you know, that could probably annoy them that, hey, there's this guy telling me I'm not doing my job right. But at the same time, it should hopefully save them some embarrassment when their boss finds out that it's the wrong thing. Well, Lynn, uh, the cops are the cops, okay? Yeah. yeah the cops are the cops. Well, the cops are really... Well, you really need a cop. 
is a guy who's got courage, is a guy who'll get in a gun battle with you and not be afraid, be well-trained, have good judgment. He's your partner. He backs you up. You're right in the middle of the night. You don't know where you are or what's coming next because the guys you're going to shoot it out with are some bad, bad dudes. They are being run down now, the cops, as the bad dudes. And we've got classic examples in our culture right now of this. And, but that's where I see attraction to being a police officer. Many of my great buddies are cops, and yet I am hard on them as can be. I can tell you one thing about them. Uh, when I taught the writing classes at the college, they all wanted me for the writing instructor when they went to get certified because I was hard on them. And the reason I was hard on them, I said, listen, the conviction or lack thereof may rest on your inability to write well. You have to capture in language what went on. Uh, right now, as I was saying over the break to you, or maybe before we went on the break, if you go to Ward's Hot Bulletin Board and read my piece called The Ride Along, you'll see that the guy that I rode with that night has to write that report up at the end of the night. And I'm going to create a mystery for you. We were sitting there in the Steak and Shake on South 13th and 16th, about 3 o'clock in the morning. We had gone on 4 or 5 in the afternoon, and boy, had it been eventful, but it hadn't been eventful. Nothing had happened out of the ordinary, except everything was out of the ordinary. And he was sitting there writing this narrative, and he looked up at me, and he said, all this over a sandwich. We'll let you figure out what he meant. All this over a sandwich. I thought, my God, man, that's where we are. Now, at the beginning of that piece, it opens with us answering a call about that sandwich. And Lynn, when we answered that call, I was blown away. We pull up in a car, right? Owned by you and me, the taxpayer. We get out of it. Pulling up behind us is a fire truck. Pulling up behind that is an ambulance. All of which are left running. Two of which are big diesel machines. We go into the crime scene, start taking pictures start taking narrative, start taking testimony, wading through the emotion. And when you get to the end of it, you'll see what I mean about all this over a sandwich. So, yeah, I'm going to give you a clue that got dropped. It never even got pushed through the channels. Okay? And yet it was so time-consuming and so expensive. So I don't know what you can do um, with human nature, I'm fascinated by your report. I'll, I'll assure you that I can look at that and get a lot out of that and start to draw some conclusions that are speculations, 
but where we need to go looking a little more carefully. Um, what about this idea? And you may not have run across it in the data. That it all is all about the absent father. You can't tell that from the data, I bet, can you? No, no. We're just seeing the end result. I mean, there, there's probably plenty of blame to go around. Uh, I, I had mentioned to you during the break about the equity plan at the schools where they flat out said that they're not going to discipline students because they don't like the outcome based on the skin color. And it's like, you're basically just admitting that you're not going to punish bad behavior. And and we have, you know, a whole generation coming out thinking there are no negative consequences for what they do. So one one of the big things that we see is uh, resisting. And just today we had somebody who was arrested with no other charges charges other than resisting off the officer. And you could think, okay, that's just an officer being abusive, or it could be just some punk who thinks he doesn't have to answer to law enforcement because he's been told that you can't be punished or that the cops are the bad guys, right? The whole defund the police movement, everything else. There's all kinds of issues. Not having intact households probably does not help either. But there's nothing that I can see directly from just looking at the booking log every day because there's it doesn't tell me what the uh, background information on the people booked into the jail are. So if I remember correctly what you said earlier, the thing you can see most directly is the frequency of pol- uh, probation violations. Yeah, that was just as I go through day to day and I, I'm tallying the different types and categories of crime. It seems like that one comes up the most. Um Violation of probation and then also um, pretrial releases. Not quite as often, but they're, those both happen a lot. Um, walk the, walk the, uh, the neophyte listener into a pretrial release. So we only, anything that was administrative of release. So it could be a pretrial release or it could be an injunction violation. So anything that comes down other than the obvious failure to appear or uh, violation of probation. All the other ones, just we, we put in that one category that's a pretrial or a violation injunction. It's basically a, a judge coming down saying, hey, I told you not to do this and you did it. So it's an administrative charge. Um, it could be that they're just waiting for the arraignment or waiting for a trial or just let out on their own recognizance pending the trial So or anything within the system that the judge has let you off and you have to come back. And then you basically either reoffend or you do specifically what the judge told you not to do. The most common one is in a domestic battery case. They have a no contact order. So even if the person calls the, the, the victim, that's now a violation of the court injunction. And, and those happen. A lot of times we'll get some of those, while they're still in jail, because they get on the phone, and what do they do? Oh, they free call. Now. The phone is free now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but they'll get on the phone and call the same person that they were told not to contact. Yeah, and it's on a recorded line. <laughs> what are you thinking? So we actually just had one uh, early, either earlier this week or last week. We had one that had twenty five additional charges for uh, violating the injunction on a domestic battery case. You know who I would hold uh, uh, complicit in that. The Lachua County Commission. 
If I were the, the defense attorney, I would be going after the Alachua County Commission. I'm serious. Yeah. I might not get anywhere, but I'd raise hell about it. You mean to tell me you put this dumb kid or whatever who doesn't know any better, all right? It was just being a thug or being himself in a, in a position of jeopardy. You did it. I mean, come on. They argue publicly about, oh, come on, we want free phone calls. We want free phone calls. They've had testimony from at least two sheriffs, but how stupid that is. Oh, no, they got to have it. Where did it come from? Well, hold them responsible for that. Oh, boy, I tell you what. I need to have about 30 or 40 more years of youth go back to liar school and take on stupid stuff like that. Wow. Wow. Totally yeah, so when I was teaching economics, it was always easy that we had California because it was always the example of what not to do. Oh, God. Economics. But you bring up the phone call thing. That discussion with Sheriff Ganey and the, the commission when they were forcing the phone calls and he's talking about, yeah. you know, there are constraints. You can't just deem something to be free. There's only so much time in the day. There are only so many physical phones. You know, how we have to somehow work this out. And it just was completely above their heads. And fortunately, that's recorded. So if I ever go back to teaching economics and we get into the concept of scarcity, uh, I might just have to play that discussion for the students. Watson told them the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't tell them what they want to hear, why they, you know, they've never liked the sheriffs, by the way. Uh, I've been listening to them talk to sheriffs for at least three sheriffs. They don't like them. They can't control them. Um, they've got their own lawyers and all that business. You know, Darno had to go to Tallahassee. Um, it's just endless. And you have the classic example of Robert Carl Hutchinson, the communist commissioner, telling Darnell, hey, come on, you don't need to arrest guys for pot. And she said, well, it's a law. Get the law changed. See? And then I won't. But if there's a law, I will. You know, dumb stuff like that. I mean, it's... Uh, Endless. I mean, it's just endless. But you just piqued my interest when you said that that guy got 25. Did, you, did I hear you right? 25 more charges? Yeah, I think it was just earlier this week. I can Let me see if I can find it pretty quick. There it is. It was uh, February 1st. LaShawn Lee, the black female that had been brought in for domestic violence. I, I can look up when she was brought in, but she had 25 charges added on the first for a conditional release violation because she violated the uh, order, no contact order. See, there's a really good example of how difficult it is for people to have well-informed opinions. I could never have a, an opinion based upon that incident because I wouldn't have known about it. And it changes everything. I'm just basing it on what I know will happen. Probably for her to get to that phone like that, she had to beat the tar out of somebody else with one end of it too. <laughs> the, the actual original charge for domestic battery was on Christmas. December 25th. I'll be damned. 
Uh, so she was booked in for domestic battery and criminal mischief and also was served a warrant for a violation of probation for criminal mischief. Oh, Lynn Cabrera, I'm looking at chat line. All sorts of good stuff here. Lynn, what do you plan to do with what you've now compiled? Anything? Uh, we, we do it mainly because we were asked to, to do it. So now it's just kind of the part of the daily ritual. We get up, we do the booking log, and I, I throw all the numbers in there. I, I try not to look at them because it is depressing, especially, you know, we had um, one guy, I, I, I think he may have just passed away. I think I heard Jennifer saying something about this, but we had one guy who had 25 mugshots for him. Clearly a homeless addicted person who just had nothing better to do. He was just constantly being trespassed, being caught with drugs. It was like a revolving door. They just let him out. And we see stuff like that when we see multiple, we had one, I think one of the ones either today or yesterday had 10, I have 10 mug shots for that person. I haven't been doing this for that long. There's no reason why I should have 10 pictures for somebody. Um, so it, it kind of gets depressing at times. So it's like, I have to, uh, I'm almost callous now where I just kind of go through it, go through the motions, do what I'm doing, try not to think about it too much. And then finally at the end of the year, that report that I wrote is I just sit down let the numbers do what they do. And then I just report on it. I, I try not to spend too much time on it. I, I figure right, it's depressing right. enough. <laughs> but but the, um, well, there's two issues here. One is your daily treatment of the uh, material. Absolutely essential, really. And that you have to put together yourself, right? Because one line of information, the pictures, the other line of information are the names, but you have to go find and crisscross them, right? Yeah, we match them up. Yeah. And you never develop, is that laborsome every time, or have you developed a system? Um, it can be. I, we, we've talked about automating it, and when we go back and forth with people and I start pointing out all the different types of problems that you can have or errors, either with the wrong name or the name is yeah. transposed or they have the wrong date of birth, it, it's just... <laughs> you end up with just the error checking alone would be too expensive to write any kind of code to automate that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, the other item is the whole summation itself. To me, that has value. Do you have anything in mind with that? No, no. I mean, we, we publish it and we know that people within the government have access to it and we get informed when they're reading it. So, the decision makers who can change things have seen it. Uh, the ultimate decision maker would be the voters who can change the people who aren't making the right decisions, but uh, they have to want to do that. And you also have to have somebody challenge them. There's, uh, a, a, I know of at least two positions right now in elected office that are running unopposed. So if people are complaining about the situation in Alachua County, either for crimes or potholes or taxes or whatever else you want to complain about, there is absolutely no reason why somebody should be running unopposed. Definitely. That's a whole other issue. We know about that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So when you published it, the only place you published it is AC, right? Correct. If you want to hang it on Ward's Hot Bolt and you can do it or link it, send the link over. Um, the more we can get it out there for people to look at. 
maybe maybe it'll help. And um, it helps for the politicians who run for office to know that it exists now. Um, and you, you do it annually. Any any uh, any reason for that rhythm, or you just want to clear your desk? Um, no, it, it just first started out when we started doing the the booking log in I think middle of twenty twenty. Oh, yeah, I got the file open in front of me. Yeah, we, we started doing it in June 8th of 2020. It was the first time we did a jail booking log where we reported it. And uh, I think I just, when we got to the end of the year, I was like, oh, I, let's just do a summary of all the people that were booked into the jail. So I just did it at the end of the year. And then uh, when we hit a full 12 months, I said, well, here, let's look at an actual full 12 months of data rather than just half a year. So I did that. And then when we got to the end of that year, I did a summary again and then we kind of compared it to the previous year. And then it just kind of thought, well, you know, we're, we're tracking all the data. I, I feel like we should summarize it and compare it yeah. at the end of the year. So I, I just, oh, yeah. I kind of decided to do it that way. I, I know the, the actual reporting requirements for the FIBRS, Florida Incident-Based Reporting System, is quarterly. But as far as I can tell, nothing happens with that. It just gets kind of reported up and posted on the website. In fact, to get the third quarter data, I had to harass them, their tech support guys. I said, hey, uh, this says that your third quarter data is supposed to be available already, but the file on the website is still the second quarter. And then miraculously, about an hour later, it switched, and it was the third uh -huh. quarter data <laughs> was available. Uh -huh. So somebody wasn't uh, on the ball there. Uh, but they were responsive and updated it when I pointed it out to them. But it makes you wonder how many other people actually access this stuff that nobody's looking at it. Um, I, I did point out other systems that they have. I, I just wanted to do this one to vent for anybody who didn't already read the article. When I was asking them about the differences in the, in the nomenclature between FIBRS and what I see in the booking log, it's because FIBRS is driven by FBI. So they change the definitions of crimes of how they track them. So they don't have assault, battery, aggravated battery. They, they write things up as just aggravated assault, which includes aggravated battery and aggravated assault. And it's just it's legal definitions on the differences on the crimes, but the the person over there at FDLE pointed me to a different data set to try to see it in in the actual incarceration system for the state. And she pointed me. I'm looking for the name of it. She pointed me to oh well, why don't you go look at the criminal justice data transparency arrest reports? And she sends me the link. I was like, okay, great, I'll go look at it. I went and looked at it. For Alachua County, now this is supposed to be multiple years worth of data. Alachua County only had 775 entries. I'm pretty sure that we've had more than that booked in just a single year. But of those, only two of them had valid dates. The rest of them had no date entered at all. It was just complete garbage data, but they have their people pointing people to it like it's useful. Wow. That, that was annoying. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time. Fascinating subject. Great to talk to you. Hope you don't mind sometime we'll revisit the whole thing. Try to draw some sense into it. Um, take a look at the ride along, see what you think about it, if you want to. I don't know what else to say. I'm kind of speechless halfway through the show. That's unusual for me because <laughs> I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Um, there must be some way out of here, said the joker to the feet. You know, no, there ain't no way out of here, buddy. Uh, and I really uh, applaud you for doing what you're doing, you and Jennifer. 
And the the records, of course, uh, uh, we link to them. Uh, I know I'm on Crime Shoppers board. I know that Crime Shoppers looks at them. Um, And you may not know this, but tellers at banks look at them. And I asked the tellers, I said, why do you do that? Well, we see a lot of people we went to school with. <laughs> I'm serious. Young tellers, you know, who are out there at the windows, starting their careers or whatever. Oh, here comes Joe. Oh, man, he's trouble. I knew him in the fifth grade, whatever, you know. And it's, it's, it's a lot of that going on where they know these people. And yeah, we, we do get a lot of comments, especially when we post the, the crime stories on Facebook. A lot of people comment on Facebook about people they know on the crime stories, but the, the actual booking logs themselves that we put on the website, uh, we get a lot of feedback from, I, I won't say what businesses, but there are several different types of businesses that reach out to thank us for putting that up every day. That's the first thing they look at. I'll bet. I'll bet. Yeah. Well, Lance, say hello to Jennifer and uh, y'all keep up the good work. Um, stay in touch, buddy. We're, we're out of time. All right. Thanks for having thank me on. You. Okay, thank you. And have a great uh, day. We're back tomorrow on the Ward Scott Files. War Dog Command Center out.